Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Today, we finish up our series on the Texas killing fields. We'll start by covering disappearances and murders from the 1990s. We'll then look at more suspects and trials and convictions and close out the stories of some of the people we mentioned earlier in this series. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If you've been patiently waiting for the conclusion of this heart-wrenching story, stick around. Tonight, let's see if we can find just a little bit of closure. This is Necronomapod. a new beer to try out here tonight. Bud Light Next Zero Carb Beer. 80 calories, zero carb, probably less than zero taste, I'm guessing. But have you ever had a zero carb beer? I don't. What's Mick Ultra? That's the lowest I think I've had. Aren't they like 2.4? Yeah. How can you have beer with no carbs? And alcohol content wise, it's 4%. Yeah. Miller Light's like 4.2. Yeah. Not that much, uh, not farther, not much farther below. Is this going to be the alcoholic water? <laughs> and like, I don't even mean like those fancy girl white claw or whatever. Is keto when you don't eat carbs? Yeah. That'd be a game changer for keto people. I bet it's not perfect. I don't think you're supposed to drink hardly at all. Oh, really? You do keto. Because mm. there's still sugar, right? Like the sugar metabolizes. I'm not going to get into a nutrition uh, debate, but. No one's debating you guys. No one's debating. Discussion. So I'm interested I don't know what the I'm to about. see what this looks like because I'm looking at the fine print here on the can. Uh oh, fine print. I did not read. Light beer with natural fr- flavors and fruit juice for color. What? Did you buy us a seltzer, Dave? I think. Uh, I think I may have bought a seltzer. It doesn't say. It, it says, says super light crisp beer. light beer. That sounds seltzery though. We don't have any glassware to pour this in though. Unless you do a little, little, little dumper in that. Let's see. I don't know if you want to mix that with your whiskey. This smells atrocious. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta get mine open. Oh, that smells disgusting. <laughs> Here, Ian, take a little smell of that. All right, it looks like beer colored. Looks like very light beer. Ooh, 
God, when you first poured it, it almost looked like champagne. It smells. It smells bad. disgusting. Dave took a sip. It doesn't really have a taste, though. Well, it's what you'd expect. It smells bad, but no taste. No taste, less filling, no carbs. You get kind of that aroma, the smell when you first sip it, but it doesn't really have any taste, right? Yeah, I don't taste anything. Right when it hits the like the front of your mouth, you get that kind of disgusting smell <laughs> taste. But once you actually drink yeah. it, it doesn't have a taste. That front little disgusting part yeah. almost reminds me of like when I drink like bubbly or LaCroix. Yes, but you that's get, what it is. But you get that. For me, I enjoy like like if I'm drinking a lime bubbly or that cherry bubbly, you get that flavor and it tastes good. That's what this is, except it's it's a weird taste. Yeah. And then it's very, the back end is very good. You want to try that, Ian? Yeah, I'll try it. Think of it like a bubbly and that's almost what it's like. But then the back end is just no flavor. That's right. But it's beer. Yeah. It doesn't taste like beer. You get hit with a weird beer taste and then it just goes away. Yeah, I don't even know. If, is that a beer taste though at the beginning? I don't think that's beer. No, I don't, I don't know what it is, but it's hard to describe. Somebody once said that like when you drink those LaCroix or those bubblies or any of those drinks, it's like someone drank like a, say it's lime. So they, they drank lime juice and then burped in your mouth. <laughs> and I'm not going to lie. It's a hundred percent accurate, but I, I, it's good. I like it. This, that front taste, whatever that is, is not good, but it's, I could drink this. I wonder if you only get that front taste out of a can. Let me try to drink it out of a glass. Isn't there whiskey in that, though? <laughs> Your whiskey was empty. Oh, okay. <laughs> I feel like it's a little different in a glass. If you let it breathe a little bit. I feel like you're smelling the inside of the can, and it's translating into that initial taste. That's really weird. Yeah. I'm not drinking that. It's horrible. That's what you're going with? Horrible for this? I don't think it's horrible. It just lacks any. You're like, what's in my mouth? I, I don't know. Some liquid. It definitely I don't know what it, is. it doesn't have a defining taste whatsoever. Mm. But if you were trying to, I guess, catch a buzz or get drunk and not wanting to drink beer, this is all right. Not the worst thing. Uh, like those, the, the seltzers are way worse than this. Yeah. I don't consider high noon a seltzer. I don't either. Because it's I not. would have called you out immediately. Yeah. If, if I, did. <laughs> I would be ridiculous to say that. High noons are delicious, <laughs> splendid, delightful <laughs> treats. Hmm. All right. Weird can, too. Looks like an energy drink. Yeah, it really does. Mm -hmm. It's like a whole new look for Bud Light. Okay. Well, thanks, Dave. I'm neither disgusted nor impressed. Just, eh. No carbs? It's no mint M&M. It definitely is not. <laughs> I'll finish it. Waste not want. Not. I would drink this. I, if you get, if you, I walked to a party and they had the seltzers and they had this, I would go for this all night long and I wouldn't be that upset. You sure about that? Yes, I'm very <laughs> sure about that. Because I don't want all the sweet extra flavors necessarily when I'm trying to, yeah, you know, do an yeah, alcohol. I get that. And again, hey, no carbs. That's not the worst thing. I'd take that. But give me my Michelob Ultra and my two carbs or whatever. You can handle two carbs. I would you're, take you're that. Kind of dainty. Please. I, yeah. Come on. That's that's not the worst thing I'm putting in my body all day is the Mick Ultra. That's right. Just the fucking Wendy's and the Burger Kings and the everything else. Anyways, so this story doesn't get any better tonight. 
No, nah, we'll get a little justice in the end, but a little bit. Who knows if we got it right, but somebody was killed over this, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, so- somebody was put to death over these murders. Uh, One guy sitting on death row. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 20 years, maybe. Yeah, he'll he'll get killed eventually. (laughs) (laughs) And we would be remiss without mentioning the death of Pee Wee Herman and Paul Rubens this week. Very sad day for the show. Is very sad. Big fan. How old was he? I didn't realize how old he was. Seventy. Like uh, he was seventy exactly. I believe so. Yeah. I was having a discussion about what he was arrested for. Hmm. When he was jerking off in the adult theater. I just assume that's what you do in adult yeah, theater. I feel like he shouldn't be judged for that. Like, what What else do you do in those places? Yeah, what's the point? Like, who goes to watch porn and not jerk off, right? Yeah. Like, I wouldn't is that go to one of those places, Like, but I'm not going to kink shame him. Is that what people think his legacy is? Like, Is that what people think? Yeah, they get mentioned all the time. Yeah. He got that pornography charge to oh he do something like else? well it was like <laughs> they framed it as child pornography but it was like vintage or i don't even know the story but it, i don't think it ever turned into what they kind of how they framed it well because i brought up the fact that peewee died and uh the person i was talking the person i had said it to was like oh he was a pervert yeah. I'm like no he's not a pervert because he came to porn he's a pervert Comic he was genius. He was doing it in public, but yeah. what else yeah, are you supposed to do? Porn theater. Come yeah. on, it's like saying don't get a boner in a strip club. I will be honest. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not the. I'm not the level of fandom that you guys are of him. <laughs> I don't mean this to be disrespectful, but like, are you trying to drive me crazy? <laughs> when I saw the little graphic pop up of like with like dates, I didn't look closely, and I was like, oh, it must be the anniversary of his death. I thought he had already died. <laughs> I didn't know he was still alive. You can't just make up lies about people. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> but I also thought when I saw how old he was, I was like, oh, thought he was younger. I thought he was younger, too. I you put can't in, picture someone like that 70 years I would have put him in his 50s. You would have been like, he's still alive. How old is he? I'd have been like, oh, 55. Yeah. He didn't really age Mm-mm. ever. Mm-mm. Do you remember after he after that arrest we were just talking about and then he hosted or he was at one of those award ceremonies and he came out and he's like heard any good jokes lately <laughs> <laughs> do you remember that it was so fucking funny <laughs> that's the best he was great <laughs> <laughs> he was great in wwe yeah a couple times yeah. he popped up there <laughs> he was one of those guest hosts mm-hmm. right during like the 2010 uh, like celebrity gm yeah era yeah he did some stuff back in the day because there's some videos out there of him and uh, Rowdy Piper. Oh, is there? Man. I haven't seen that. Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys, let's do a show. <laughs> All right, let's, let's get through it. Where we left off on part two, on September 8th, 1991, a fourth body was found in the field off of Calder Road in League City, Texas. At the time, this woman couldn't be identified. She was only known as Janet Doe. Janet Doe because police already had another unidentified woman found murdered in that field. So Jane Doe was already taken. The other two bodies were of 16-year-old Laura Miller and 23-year-old Hedy Fye. There was obviously a pattern of young girls and young women turning up dead 
in fields along I-45, but four in one specific field wasn't able to be ignored, so police brought in the FBI. The FBI provided them with a profile of a serial killer, which the police applied that profile to Robert Abel. He owned a popular horse riding ranch, and his property line went right up to the Calder Road field. Robert Abel wasn't from League City, Texas. He bought the horse ranch after he retired from his work as an engineer for NASA. Robert had been divorced three times, and one of those wives accused Robert of having abusive behaviors. One of his ex-wives said that he would threaten violence if she didn't want to have sex with him. Another one said that Robert would beat the horses with a metal pipe to tame them, and when a horse needed to be put down, Robert wouldn't bury it. He would drag it out to the back of his property and let scavengers eat the horse, which I guess is not common if you own horses. I guess you bury them. (laughs) It seems odd just to lay it out there. Based on this, police felt that Robert matched the FBI's profile. High IQ, unable to keep a romantic relationship, and a history of animal abuse. In November of 1993, police secured a search warrant to go and search Robert's property, and this was the talk of League City. Regardless if Robert was actually guilty or not was irrelevant. The whole city pretty much got out their pitchforks. Police seized a bunch of guns, a gold tooth, and found that Robert had been keeping a ton of newspaper clippings about the Calder Road killings. Suspicious. It's with the gold tooth. So the gold tooth was ended up being his. Mm. I don't know why he kept it, but it ended it's up gold. being his. Yeah. She wants the gold. It belongs in a damn museum <laughs> next to Patrick Swayze's tooth. <laughs> yeah, was Zach interested in purchasing that tooth? Probably. Go ask him. How much are you selling it for? <laughs> the newspaper clippings are a little odd. Robert said that he was um, maybe helped solve the case is how he put it. He's an engineer at NASA, an analytical guy. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a different day and age. That's really all you have is the newspaper. And if you're see yourself as a, I don't know, potentially researching and trying to help, I, I don't find that unusual, I guess. Especially if it's right on your property. Like someone murdered people next door to you. Well, I could see how you'd be interested, right? Yeah, there's criticism of Robert Abel where he would be uh, people said he was too interested in the murders and things like that and maybe that could be weird but at the same time wouldn't you be pretty interested if a killer was dumping bodies right next to your yard absolutely I agree with the 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 keeping the clippings but the fact that they he does kind of add up to the FBI's profile a little bit with the divorces sure sure the history of violence or alleged history the horse thing, the guns, person of interest for sure. It could go either way, but I don't think it necessarily yeah. means, oh, this is our guy. Yeah. By no means. Like if a year later you found out he was the killer, you wouldn't be surprised. But a year right. later, if you found out that he was a real smart guy and did a lot of research and found the killer, you wouldn't be surprised at that either. Yeah, it just it was really public how they executed the search warrant. Small town in. As soon as he was labeled as the person of interest in a search warrant was executed, that was it. Yeah, of course. He is the killer. Back in part two, we talked about how Laura Miller's father, Tim Miller, was on a really destructive path trying to figure out who killed his daughter. He would sit out in the field with a gun waiting for the killer while drinking beer, and sometimes he would end up passing out in the field. Tim had been 
focused on a suspect we talked about last week, Clyde Hedrick. But when he found out about the search warrant on Robert Abel's property, it became an obsession for Tim to get Robert to confess to the Calder Road murders. Tim would sit out in front of Robert's house every day, and every day when Robert would come out to get the mail, Tim would call him a murderer and you know, telling Robert to confess. Tim went around League City making sure that everyone was aware that Robert Abel was the man who was guilty of the Calder Road murders, and people listened to Tim. If Tim ran into Robert in public, like let's say they were at a grocery store, Tim would make a huge scene accusing Robert of murder. Tim would leave threatening and harassing messages on Robert's answering machine, and all of this just completely ruined Robert's life. I don't know how you react to that. I don't know what you're supposed to do. Like You feel bad for the guy because his daughter got murdered, but you still can't just let him have open season on you like that. I'm not sure what you do. Yeah, it's tough. Like if you're Robert, like, like yeah, I can understand this a, a bit, but you're just trying to go buy like you know checks mix at the store. Right. And you got this guy just like harassing you all the way down. I don't know. But if you're Tim and you truly believe that's a guy that killed your daughter, like you're not going to relent. Mm-hmm. And Tim's already in a really, a really rough state of mind with it's a dark place. Yeah, staying out there all night long sure. and. And doing, not doing himself any favor. Yeah, he's not well. He's not well here. We talked about it last week, but this is when Tim and the owner of the Calder Road field came to the $10 a month agreement, allowing Tim to search the field. It's a good deal. You know what else is a good deal for $10 a month? Necronomapod Patreon. <laughs> Available at patreon.com slash Necronomapod. He's got it down. <laughs> this searching that Tim was doing out there is going to be the precursor to Texas EquiSearch. And Tim's one and only goal at this time was to find evidence to incriminate Robert. He had volunteers out there, uh, search dogs. Like I said, it's the precursor to Texas EquiSearch, like full search operations out there. Do we want to talk about EquiSearch? Yeah, he started it in around 2000, right after the his kind of break he has with Robert. He founded Texas EquiSearch and... Essentially, it's just a huge search operation that he does for free for families. All over the place. Yeah, all over the country. doesn't charge families for it. You know, the lady that wrote the book, Deliver Us, I read and I read that book for this. She said that she feels that Tim is just trying to bring his daughter back or solve that. But he's doing a lot of good, though. Yeah. At this point. Mm Mm-hmm. Just never came back from this, like trying to figure out what happened to his daughter. He's channeled it in a really positive way now. And he's helped find several people, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a massive search operation that he that he's built. He sued Casey Anthony because he tried to help find Kaylee. He had people out there. So after Why that. Why would you sue an innocent woman? <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, huh? He won that lawsuit <laughs> if she's so innocent. <laughs> what was the judgment against her? It was a lot of money. One dollar? Oh, <laughs> oh it was. <laughs> Has she paid yet? Probably not. Mm. Maybe she. Maybe Tim will hit her up for that. all that uh, peacock money she just got mm. for that documentary. She could have paid him off tenfold if she would have taken uh, Larry Flint's money, right? That's right. No problem. She no a check right that problem. day. Ten million dollars for you to pay for that beef. <laughs> and she said no. I work at Universal. <laughs> I got a job. 
Let me show you back to my office. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go back and cover the rest of the timeline after we finish up with Robert and the call to Roadfield. But this stuff went on for years and years. You know, innocent or guilty, I don't know how he lived with this for this long. This was a daily occurrence with him. I was just picked up and left. Yeah. Eventually. But fairly soon after this started happening. Six years into this, so now in 1999, Tim was sitting outside of Robert's house waiting for Robert to get the mail like every other day. And as soon as Robert came out, Tim started harassing him. However, this time, Robert said something back to Tim, something nasty about Laura along the lines of, like, maybe if she didn't have a crazy dad, she'd still be alive, something like that. Tim snapped and got out of his vehicle, threw Robert to the ground, and held a gun to his head. Thankfully, Tim didn't pull the trigger. And this incident broke the cycle of Tim harassing Robert. Tim was admitted to a hospital for psychiatric treatment, and he eventually came to accept that he played a really, really big role in ruining Robert Abel's life. According to Tim, he and Robert made amends. Tim apologized to Robert. Fast forward to 2005, Robert Abel drove his car into some train tracks and was hit by a train, resulting in his death. Officially, it was ruled as an accident, but it's pretty much accepted that Robert probably committed suicide. Tim accepts his role and what happened to Robert Abel. And, and he said, you know, as publicly said, there was never any evidence to support Robert's role in the murders. In 2012, he was doing an interview and Tim said that he felt responsible for Robert's death. He played a very big role. Probably was. Mm -hmm. The Netflix documentary plays one of those voice messages that Tim left Robert back yeah, then. Yeah, that's right. It's not very nice. Mm -hmm. I cannot imagine living with that for years. Amazing he did stay there that long. The way I took it was that he just didn't want to close up his horse ranch. But his, You're not forcing me out of town. But no, his business took a hit. Nobody would go out there. No, and, you can and bring your kids to your horse ranch, right? To the, into the, you know, all the way to the fact that you're going to kill yourself. Like, at that point, pack up if you need to. If, you, if you're able to do it. I think he tell. was at this point, right? Like, he left and then killed himself yeah, a couple he, years later. Yeah. It's, and it's technically, it's ruled as an accident, yeah. but seems to be what he did. Mm. Just more collateral damage from all this other innocent victim. The Caldwell Road murders sat cold for years until April of 2019, when Shirley Cook, who lives in Tennessee, read an article about the Texas killing fields and about Jane Doe, who had a distinctive gap in her front teeth. Shirley called the League City Police and told them how back in December of 1985, her niece, Audrey Cook, who was 30 years old at the time, went missing from the Houston area. Shirley told the League City Police that her family reported Audrey is missing to the Houston police back in the 80s, but nothing ever came of it. Yeah, she probably ran away. The League City Police put Shirley in contact with the FBI because turns out Shirley was scheduled to be called regarding her niece. Using genetic genealogy, the FBI were able to find family members of both Jane and Janet Doe. Jane Doe was Shirley's niece, Audrey Cook, who disappeared back in 1985. Janet Doe was Donna Perdome, who was 34 years old when she disappeared from Nassau Bay, Texas in July of 1991. Donna lived a pretty hard life. She was addicted to drugs and in a very abusive relationship. When Donna disappeared, her family thought that she might have 
just taken off and get out of town from get away from that abusive relationship. But they always felt like something could have been wrong because she just left behind her kids with her mom. Last week, we talked about Clyde Hedrick's connection to the Calder Road field, as well as his story about Ellen Beeson drowning back in the 1980s and him dumping her body in another field along I-45. In 2012, another autopsy was done on Ellen's remains, and using new science, a forensic anthropologist found her skull had been fractured before her death. So Clyde was charged with murder, but there still wasn't enough evidence to prove that Ellen's death wasn't an accident. So a jury ended up convicting him of involuntary manslaughter, and Clyde was sentenced to 20 years in prison. He was only there for seven years and was released in October of 2021. He's a super creepy guy. Very much so. A lot of that. Well, they say that about me, but do I have to go to prison? (laughs) Not yet. Not yet. (laughs) Something wrong with being creepy. You sure about that? (laughs) So I peek in windows every now and then. Sorry, I like just creeping up at drive throughs and peek in their windows and look at them making those burgers. Right. Does that make me a criminal? <laughs> oh, slap that patty. Slap that beef patty. Mm, give me some of that. Does that make me a criminal? No, not in my eyes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Don't forget that fucking zesty sauce. Sons of bitches. <laughs> I was going to say a lot of that documentary focused on Clyde's stepdaughter and like what a perv he was and abusing her and yeah he had drilled a hole in the bathroom wall or, or in her bedroom wall to be able to watch her yeah she had gone through a lot of trauma with this clown all right in all fairness that's pervy yeah what i do is not i'm just watching <laughs> you know beef patties be cooked yeah not watching you know people <laughs> allegedly <laughs> until they prove it i'm sticking with my story <laughs> And everybody is of agreement that he killed Ellen Beeson. Like oh, the, yeah, that, that drowning story, story was ridiculous. Yeah. All of it. So That was least, the one where she was swimming, but he's like, nah, yeah. I'm not going to swim. Yeah. And he's like, oh, she died. Okay. But there's just too much tying him. Like, he, right, he lived down the street from Laura Miller. He most certainly knew her. She may have bought weed from him. Inside his house. Inside his house. Like, yeah. he knew exactly who this person was. Ellen Beeson met Clyde Hedrick at the same bar that Heidi Fi was a right, bartender right. at. Like, it all ties together. I I think that he definitely killed Laura Miller and Heidi Fi as well as Ellen Beeson. Wow. All right. See you next week, everybody. I don't think he killed the other two, though. No? Jane Doe and Jane... Well, um... Audrey and you think someone saw that like that's Donna. a good place to dump bodies. Yeah. Donna. No. Yeah, Donna Perdome. Because they weren't from that area like these girls, right? Mm-hmm. They were from out of town. If you're familiar with the area and you're you kill someone, you're like, hey, what if I just go dump them in this Calder Road field? They'll tie it back to this other person they're looking at, potentially. Smart. Okay. That makes sense to me. The Galveston County District Attorney has publicly said that Clyde remains a suspect in the call to road murders, but they don't have anything to charge him with. Tim Miller fully believes that Clyde is responsible for those murders. And at the end of 2021, Tim filed a $110 million lawsuit against Clyde for the death of Laura Miller. In July of 2022, a judge granted Tim's request for a default judgment, which means that because Clyde never showed up in court, Tim won the suit by default. 
Tim said that he filed it to let Clyde know that he's still there looking to solve Laura's murder. As of us recording tonight, Clyde lives in a halfway house and still denies any involvement in the call to road murders in Ellen Beeson. Wouldn't it be wild if between the time you finished these notes and sent them to us and then as we record, he changed his story and came out publicly with them? <laughs> and you were like, as of this recording, we're like, no, you <laughs> fucked up, man. You didn't read the news today, fella. Yeah. <laughs> when you sent these to us 24 hours ago, that might have been true. <laughs> Not no more. <laughs> As they say in the South. <laughs> Not no more. Is that what they say in the South? Probably. They also order Coke. What do you want from me? <laughs> he had quite the fall from uh, from his looks as well. Back in when these murders happened, he was like kind of that, last week you said Marlboro man mm-hmm. looking guy. Right, right. Nowadays, he looks like he's been smoking meth for a very long yeah. time. Half his face lives in that halfway house. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. That's all there's left of it. Yeah. Before we get back into the timeline of the other killing field victims from the 90s along I-45, there's one more suspect to wrap up the Calder Road murders. Mark Roland Stallings, KHOU out of Houston, interviewed Stallings. So I just put this, this article from them in here. A Texas prisoner has admitted he killed one of the young women whose body was dumped in the so-called killing fields of League City. Behind prison walls, behind thick glass of a visitation room, Mark Roland Stallings is clear and convincing in his account of what happened 25 years ago. I'd walk out there right now and point straight at where she was, Stallings said. I team. This is not uh, Carl Monday. Carl Monday. This is not this him. This is not him. Should have been him. Right. I team investigator. You knew from the moment you picked her up? Stallings. Exactly. When I picked her up, I knew what I was going to do. Stallings had picked up the young woman on a telephone road near Interstate 610. He described her as trashed, wasted, and with skin barely over her bones, and emotionally gone. He said they went to a motel and did some drugs. And I said, look, you know, let's go for a ride, Stallings said. That ride took them south to League City and a field off Interstate 45 and Calder Road. It's where Stallings once worked as a ranch hand and where three bodies had been discovered in the 1980s. The young woman with Stallings would be the fourth in the Texas killing field. The decomposed body was found months later in 1991. Authorities have never been able to identify the woman. She is known only by an artist's rendering as Janet Doe, but it wasn't the first time Stallings admitted to killing Janet Doe. Jim Carroll is an ex-con who exchanged letters with Stallings for more than two years between December 2013 and January 2016. The two wrote more than three dozen letters back and forth. I know I had no right to take this young girl's life. She was just an innocent girl, Carol read from one of the letters. For Carol, Stallings' tone is clear. I think he's trying to clear his conscience because he knows he's not going to get out, Carol said. Stallings, 50, is serving more than two life sentences for unrelated crimes, including aggravated kidnapping for a 1998 escape attempt while in prison. If he is, in fact, clearing his conscience, he's doing so in great detail. During the interview, Stallings pointed out the location of Janet Doe's body in a map he had drawn for Carol. There she is, right there. That's exactly where I put her. Exactly where I put her, Stallings said. But to this day, Stallings has not been charged in the murder of Janet Doe. Texas has convicted people for less than this, Carol said. Indict him. It's not that simple, according to investigators at the League City Police Department. Quote, just because somebody says they did something 
doesn't always give us ammunition to go to court, said Detective Marty Grant. Grant was one of the original detectives on the Janet Doe case. In 2001, he questioned Stallings over five days at the scene and said the suspect confessed back then, too. But Grant said Stallings later recanted. Now his story is changing again. Quote, some of the things he told you does not corroborate some of the things he told me all those years ago, Grant said. The inconsistencies throw even more questions into the mix and add to the mystery of the Texas killing fields. As for the other three victims, Stallings denied ever killing them, and League City Police said they continue to build a case on another suspect in those murders. Grant said investigators plan to pay Stallings a visit in prison with the hope he will once again talk about what happened to Janet Doe. So Janet Doe being Donna Perdome, mm-hmm. there seems to be like a 50-50 split on whether or not investigators, some believe him, others don't buy his shit. He was taken out one time, or he was taken out multiple times to show um, locations in the field yeah. to try and prove yeah. you know, what he was saying. And after a while, police on that trip started to get the vibe that he was just lying and trying to find a way to escape mm. while he was out there, that this might just all be just to get out of prison for the day. Yeah. Just to Deep get trip. out and then get a way to okay. take off once he was out in the field. If he was a ranch hand next door, he knew the area. Right. But he did Which work not- at Robert Abel's ranch. So he knew damn well that Laura Miller, he defy were already found out there. Yeah. Yeah. Robert Abel said he's a piece of shit, which clearly he is a piece of shit. He's in prison for kidnapping. Right. When he calls Donna Perdome, like talks about her being, how she was addicted to drugs and her skin was really, you know, she was really didn't weigh a lot, Mm -hmm. lost a lot of weight. That is what she looked like in real life. You know, once they identified her and showed her, you know, you have a picture of her. She was very skinny. Did Did he make these statements before they actually knew who she was, though? Yeah. So he would have known that prior knowledge? Yeah. Okay. I'd be willing to say that he did at least kill her. I don't know about Audrey mm-hmm. Cook. Okay. So he worked next door. He knew they dumped the other, or the other bodies were found there. If he did end up killing somebody, it's probably the first place that would he would think of to dump a body, right? That tracks. Yeah. If you go off of what Robert Abel said when he was interviewed way back then, he said Stallings is a moron, pretty much. He said that he mm-hmm. think said something like he can't string together a fence or something. He's so <laughs> stupid. Like your neighbor. Yeah. God damn. <laughs> what if he listens? <laughs> he needs a fence building class. So, yeah, it would make sense if, if he killed somebody, as he said in his, his story. Mm. And the first thing he would think of is, oh yeah, because he would be a stupid criminal. Course, the first thing he course. thinks of is to go out to that field. Yeah. Indict him. Declan, get the League City Police <laughs> on the phone now. We've made a determination. He'll do it. He'll get him. All right. We'll talk to him in the break. Yeah. Necronomapod is sponsored by BetterHelp. Remember when you graduated from high school or lost your job or just got out of a long-term relationship? Did you feel like your life was at an impasse? What did you do to assure yourself you were on the right path? Sometimes we're faced with crossroads in life, and we don't know which path to take next. Maybe you're thinking about a career change or feeling like your relationship needs a little TLC. 
whatever it might be, therapy can help. Therapy can be beneficial in helping us learn about ourselves, which in turn gives us the tools to help guide us through our decision-making and helps you choose your destination when you come to that crossroad. Therapy empowers you to be the best version of yourself, and with that extra confidence, nothing can hold you back. So, if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Necro today and get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot Necro. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So that wraps up Calderfield. See you next week. <laughs> Can you imagine if we came back from a break and it's like end of the show? People are always looking for you to follow through one time. That's it. End of the show. You're going to be real pissed if that happens. <laughs> like we came back from break and I was like, we are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, at Necronomapod. We'll have to do that once and then just like come back the next week and be like, all right, here's the rest of the story. <laughs> Surprise part two. Right. Break yeah. it in half on the fly. Just not let people know. Yeah. <laughs> but only like a 30-minute show, the first part. like Just take a, like a real quick one and just cut it up. That'd make everyone so happy, I bet. <laughs> They'd Try it out it. and see. They'd love it. <laughs> so getting back to the timeline of the 1990s for the rest of the I-45 killings, Crystal Baker, age 13, was last seen near I-45 in Texas City on March 5th, 1996. Crystal lived with her grandmother, and on that day, they got into an argument. So Crystal walked to a tire shop not too far away to use their phone. The belief is, is that she was trying to call a friend to pick her up or something along those lines. The tire shop confirmed that Crystal used their phone, but whoever she called didn't answer. Crystal then called a bunch of other people, and it got to the point where the tire people were like, hey, you can't hang out and talk on the phone all day. And at that point, Crystal left walking down the street. Five hours later, her body was found underneath the I-10 Trinity Bridge off of I-45. She had been brutally beaten, raped, and strangled to death. Five hours later? Real quick. Wow. Laura Smitter, age 12. She was last seen in Friendswood, Texas on April 3rd, 1997. Laura's mother passed away when she was a baby, and her father ended up getting married. So Laura's stepmother raised her from the time she was a baby until she disappeared in 1997. Uh, her mom's the one that we talked about, I think, in part one, where they were talking about just, like, the knowledge of things like child predators and stuff. And she was the mm. one that said that pedophile wasn't in her vocabulary. Yeah, I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah. Laura seemed to be getting into exercising or something along those lines. Because on April 3rd, 1997, she went out to jog around her neighborhood. This is like the classic everything is perfect type neighborhood where you wouldn't think twice about letting your kid go play or walk around the block or, you know, jog around the block like she was doing. 
when Laura never came home, a full-scale search was launched to find her, but nothing turned up. Then 17 days later, her body was found in a drainage pipe in a retention pond in Pasadena, Texas, near I-45. She had been decapitated, and she was nude except for her socks and a ring on her finger, which that ring was initially used to identify her. Decapitating a 12-year-old. It's mm. something. This is a horror. It's they, certainly something. Uh, not, not a good one. Like, they covered this a lot in those documentaries. This mm. is awful. Tim was really involved in this, mm. helping search for her. Yeah. Because it wasn't treated like, you know, now we're in the 90s. and They were on it. Law enforcement is learning from yeah. all the bullshit from the 70s and 80s. Does Tim and Equisearch, do they focus on minors only? Or is it just any missing people? I think it's any missing people that they can help with. Yeah, I don't think it's minors only. I just didn't know if. But yeah, he does it all for free. He doesn't charge a dime from anybody. Wow. Good for him. Kelly Cox, age 20. She was last seen on July 15th, 1997 at a gas station uh, in Denton, Texas. Her remains wouldn't be found until almost 20 years later, which we're going to get into that in a little bit. Jessica Kane, age 17. She was last seen at Bennigan's restaurant near Baybrook Mall in Clear Lake, Texas, with friends around 1.30 a.m. She was reported missing on August 17, 1997, when her father found her truck abandoned along I-45. Again, her remains were found 20 years later, which we're going to get into. Sarah Ann Lewis Trusty, age 23, was last seen in Algoa, Texas, near her church, riding her bicycle around 11 p.m. on July 12, 2002. The bike was found in the foyer of the Algoa Baptist Church the next day. Her body was discovered on July 28, 2002 in Texas City in a nearby reservoir by two fishermen. And then the last victim in the whole stretch of the Texas killing fields, Teresa Lynn Vanegas, age 16, was last seen in Dickinson, Texas, walking in an upper-class subdivision on October 31, 2006. Three days later, her body was found strangled. She was raped, and her hair was cut off in a field across from Dickinson High School. Were these more widely known these crimes at this time yeah compared to the earlier ones we talked about because it seems like a scary place and time right by the time these killings are happening houston chronicle has put out a really uh in-depth article Mm. after the in the you know they says the texas killing fields real big on the front um yeah it's pretty well known that it's a dangerous stretch of Something, stretch of highway, surrounding communities. Cutting the hair off is also a weird thing. I don't know. If, is that something we've talked about before? Cutting the hair off a victim? No, uh-uh. no. You don't hear that too often. That's a weird one. That's different. And I know we're talking about a lot of maybe different killers here, serial killers. That one just seems like maybe it doesn't fit necessarily for that. If there was like a special mm. thing. Yeah. I don't know. That's just something we've never, I think in the all the years of doing this, we haven't touched on decapitating a 12 year old too like it seems like different yeah different it seems very harsh here. very yeah. weird yeah there was definitely at least 10 10 killers involved in yeah, this that in the story utterly terrifying we talked about it earlier but we get to end with some justice for a couple of the victims last week we talked about 19 year old shelly sykes she disappeared after leaving her job as a waitress in galveston texas in 1986 Her car was found abandoned on I-45 
and the driver's side window was broken or bloodstains found on the door in the driver's seat. In 1987, 30-year-old John Robert King called the El Paso police saying that he and 33-year-old Gerald Zwarst attacked Shelly Sykes while she was in her car. Then they raped and strangled her. And nobody knows why this guy did this. I was just about to ask, why did he call? Nobody knows why he did that. Just had a fleeting moment of uh, regret, guilt. And the other guy was very matter-of-fact about it, too, because Gerald Zwarst was arrested and he gave an interview and was like, yeah, we knew exactly what we were going to do that night. Mm. And as soon as we found our victim, that was it. Very matter of fact about it. Both of them were asked to show police where her body was in exchange for avoiding the death penalty, but their directions didn't pan out. King and Zwarz were convicted of aggravated kidnapping and both of them were sentenced to life in prison in 1989. They were also investigated for other murders along I-45, but both of them denied any involvement. And there wasn't any evidence to tie them to other murders. But I do think that they are a solid suspect for the disappearance of 22-year-old Suzanne Richardson. She comes right before Shelly Sykes in the timeline. We talked about her. uh, Same street. She disappeared while working um, from a hotel. So they heard the commotion. Someone who was sleeping upstairs heard the commotion. Mm -hmm. She was just gone. Yeah. Never in her body. has never been found again. Mm -hmm. So literally like the same exact Mm -hmm. story pretty much. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it happened on the same street. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This is just also that there's just a lot of bad people in this area. Whether it's because of the oil workers or transient population or whatnot. But God damn. Just drifting through. Yeah. And like the people drifting through, you maybe you think they hear about this area and they they know, hey, this is where I can go cash in. How many yeah. serial killers in other cities maybe drifted down here because they're like, oh, look this, I can throw a body here and it's going to get caught up with everybody else. They will never suspect that, you know, me from Omaha, Nebraska okay. is the one that did this. And I'm going to get my rocks off by, you know, killing underage girls or whatever it is. Do you think there's an underground community of serial killers that share tips, tips of the trade? And uh, you've asked that before, I think. Have I? Yeah, I'm still wondering. We <laughs> joke about them like having like a round table about like, oh, well, I can get away with this and mm. this. Like an underground community. Look, at this point, I think there's probably an underground community for everything that you want to find online or the dark web or any of that. Right? There's got to be. There's a reason why people are still doing this and getting away with it. I suppose. Yeah, I mean, back in the 80s, Leonard Blake and Charles Ng found each other. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. nowadays, it's easier to do that. And, like, look at all, like, the, the, the child porn that goes on out there. Like, there's clearly a community out there where they're, they're able to exchange this stuff. Right. You would have- can't just make up lies about people. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Peter. <laughs> Like, you have to imagine they're only arresting the tip of the iceberg with some of this stuff. That's what's so scary, exactly. Or how many people actually... Or the bad criminals. Yeah. Right. Sorry, I, I did not mean to cut you off there. It's scary to think about how many people have these type of thoughts, but don't act on them. Yet? Yeah, yet. Like, yeah. they're an inch away from acting exactly. on it. Like, at the right scenario, with the right circumstance, and... Environmental factors gonna set them off. That dude that was driving that fucking black Dodge Charger around by the schools. Yeah, yeah. When I saw that dude in the 
parking lot of Heritage, I called the cops because who knows when this dude's a pervert mm-hmm. looking at little girls. When's he going to just yeah. like cross the line? I forgot about that guy. Maybe he yeah. already did. Right. You're a hero. You're a hero. Yeah. No, Is he I'm still around? I forgot too. about that guy. I haven't seen him. Probably locked his ass up. <laughs> he gone. <laughs> he gone. You know why we're not doing a show about him? Because of Ian. <laughs> Call the cops. Takes one person. But I like every one of these guys that we talk about, they crossed the line at some point. They didn't start there. Right. Yeah. Like if they hadn't seen a particular girl on a particular day, yeah. maybe they wouldn't have. Like who knows what. Right. What that final deciding factor is that pushes you over that line. In 2012, a man named Kevin Edison Smith was arrested on a felony drug charge in Louisiana. And around the same time, the evidence in the Crystal Baker case that we just talked about a minute ago was tested for DNA. The FBI was able to pull a DNA sample off of Crystal's dress that she was wearing when she was murdered. When that sample was ran through the national database, the FBI got a hit on Kevin Smith. A jury deliberated for about 30 minutes and found Smith guilty. He was sentenced to prison. That was a semen sample that they were able to pull, so you can't really deny that. It's because as soon as they want your DNA, you have to come in a cup, right? <laughs> and they will always have your semen sample. And a vote for Mike Namapod is a vote for a safer America, an America where if you get arrested, you come in a cup. <laughs> That's how I run my country. Come now. <laughs> Other than that, we're very loose. Like, yeah. go have fun. Do what you want to do. But if you get arrested, we might make you come in a cup. No hard feelings. You're not guilty. But we're going to hold on to that calm just in case you're guilty later. <laughs> or in case Maury Povich wants it for a TV show. <laughs> you are not the killer. <laughs> now we're talking. That's a good TV show. So I guess no more clerk, Clerks movies if Kevin Smith is in prison for murder. All right. I guess that's that. Smoochie boochie. And we'll wrap the series up with 64-year-old William Lewis Reese, who's still alive today, sitting on death row in Oklahoma. In April of 1986, a 19-year-old woman was driving to the gym when her car broke down. Reese was working as a truck driver at the time and stopped to see if she needed help. Reese told the young woman that he would take her to a payphone, but instead he tied her up and raped her. Reese then drove to a nearby motel where he rented a room for the night. He allowed her to use the bathroom, giving her an opportunity to escape and call the police. Reese was arrested and charged, but he was let go after he paid bail. Oh, of course. Why not? Seems like a great guy to give bail. hundred bucks. (laughs) Be on your way. (laughs) Reese. While out on bail, Reese raped another woman and was rearrested. He was put on trial for both rapes, found guilty, and sentenced to 25 years in prison. Later on, his attorneys appealed the conviction, which allowed for a review of his case. That review found that there were some procedural errors in Reese's case, which caused his sentence to be reduced. And then that led him to be paroled in October of 1996. After his release, Reese moved back to Oklahoma to live with his mom. Then in early 1997, he was able to get his driver's license, so then he moved to Houston, Texas. After a couple months of living in Houston, Reese kidnapped and attempted to rape 19-year-old Sandra Sapaw. In May of 1997, Sandra stopped her car at a gas station in Webster, Texas to use a payphone, where she was spotted by Reese. She got into her car and started to drive, but after a few minutes, she realized that one of her tires were flat. 
Reese driving in his truck stopped and offered to help. After luring her inside of his truck, Reese held Sandra down and bound her wrist before driving away along I-45. Sandra managed to break free and jumped out of the truck, which was going full speed down I-45. So she was severely injured. Can you imagine doing that? Well, no. she said Fuck. in another interview, either this guy's going to kill me or I'm going to die trying to get away. That's nah, not that's wrong. It. No, absolutely right. Right move for sure. Do you think he slid her tire at the gas station and followed her? That's oh, yeah. That's, assumption, right? Yeah, that's what he did. Yeah. That's his MO is yeah. doing shit like that. She survived and was taken to a nearby hospital where she described her attacker, but she couldn't remember important details. I must want to make Mike read this next part. She was put under hypnosis, but was able to, <laughs> and was able to recall Reese's license plate number. Oh, that's science, Mike. Science <laughs> at work here, pal. We've talked about this before. We did that one Art Bell call. We've mentioned on, uh, I don't know if it was on Patreon or was last year an Art Bell like Sunday show? Sounds Remember right. the girl in the food court remembering the guy's phone number? Oh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But she, she didn't, she wasn't under hypnosis. She like dreamt it, I think. I don't remember the call. Yes. Yeah, she I dreamt do, it. I mean, I do believe the mind is capable of, of, recalling that information there you go i can't remember if that was a sunday show or a patreon or show but either way patreon.com slash necronomapod we do an art bell show every year <laughs> including this year we'll do it's one coming up yeah have you guys started listening to pick out calls because I, I have no we let you do it last year i know i did them all last year <laughs> well so far i've been listening and so far i have zero calls so we're gonna have to get to work on that one i listened to art all the time, but yeah. I haven't been listening to any of that stuff. You got to do some open lines and start pulling some timestamps. Right. That's what I do. I just do the open lines. So after they got Reese's license plate, Sander picked him out in a photo lineup, and he was placed under arrest. Immediately. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. Without hesitation. Right, yeah. She picked him out immediately. So Reese was convicted of kidnapping and sentenced to 60 years in prison. In the early 2000s, laws were passed requiring inmates to provide DNA samples to be entered into national databases. In 2015, his DNA was matched to the murder of 19-year-old Tiffany Johnston. On July 26, 1997, Tiffany's Dodge Neon was found abandoned at the Sunshine Car Wash in Bethany, Oklahoma. (laughs) Tiffany's body was later found on the side of a dirt road near I-40. Tiffany had been raped, beaten, and strangled. So Reese was charged with Tiffany's murder, and in 2016, he started cooperating with investigators. He admitted to Tiffany Johnson murder, and he further went on to confess to the murders of Laura Smitter, Kelly Cox, and Jessica Kane, who we talked about tonight. Reese was very adamant that these murders weren't sexually motivated, but I'm assuming that's because these are all young girls. Laura Smitter was 12 years old, but she was found nude. Yeah, these guys are always seem to be embarrassed about it being sexually motivated. Like they're not embarrassed that they murdered a kid or decapitated them, but they're yeah, they're embarrassed that they might get talked about having raped them. It's very strange. Yeah, it's just the underage thing. Yeah, it's odd because that's and like you said, the lowest of the low. They're always nude. So is it because you're going to get in big trouble in prison? I'm assuming for raping. I'm not necessarily killing kids. Is that what it is? But then why not, like... I, if anything with a child, I feel like you're the lowest of the low in prison, right? Yeah, you're you're in the, getting into some trouble. You're on the bottom of the food chain. Yeah. But is raping a morse, I guess? 
So you don't want to be labeled that in prison. That's got to be it, right? Well, he goes he goes into this whole kind of he whitewashes this whole thing because he says it was a rainy day. She was out jogging, mm-hmm. which that's real. But he says it was a rainy day. He accidentally hit her with the car. Then he strangled her to, you know. Yeah, that's what I would do if I hit a kid. I'd strangle him and cut him in half. <laughs> sure. But that, why was she decapitated? Why was she yeah. naked? Yeah. So. Fucking weirdo. With Kelly Cox, Reese said that he was driving from Oklahoma to Houston when he stopped to buy some whiskey at a gas station in Denton. He claimed that he got into an argument that turned physical with Kelly Cox, and then he strangled her in that fight. Like we talked about earlier, those those remains that were found 20 years later, Reese led police to Kelly's body, which he was buried in the woods in Brazoria County. Again, he swore that this was not sexually motivated, that he did not rape her, but... Again, with that, everything he's been caught for is rape. Yeah. Everything this guy's went to prison <laughs> right. for is rape. And then finally, 17-year-old Jessica Kane, Reese tried to hit on her at a restaurant, and she told him no. He got pushy about it, and she told him to fuck off. Reese followed her as she left the restaurant and tailed her car until she pulled over. Reese said that he beat and strangled her, but again, no rape, and he led police to her remains. Can I just... Like acknowledge how terrifying it must be to be a woman, a young girl. Like you just you're at work and some fucking piece of shit tries to hit on you and he follows you home and murders you. Like men are such vile fucking pigs, you know? It's gonna just be so scary. Yeah, just to go to work and do your job. Like yeah. Mm. Every person we've talked about in this story. We're just, it was all women or young girls just living their lives. Going about their daily routine, yeah. And last week when we were talking about Heedy Fi, that mindset is applied to the police officers too. They made the comment that Heedy Fi probably turned down some guy Mm -hmm. that was hitting on her and he didn't like that. So she was killed. Like, that's all right. Yeah. Right. Mm. So kind of, they have the same mindset as the serial killer a little bit. They understand it. Like, yeah, that's probably what happened. It's, It's her fault. What she gets for being nice to that man, Oof. trying to make, you know, tips just to get by. Scary out there. On August 19th, 2021, Reese was sentenced to death by the Oklahoma County District Court for the murder of Tiffany Johnston. Then he was sent to Texas where he received a life sentence each for Laura, Kelly, and Jessica. And he's still sitting there. So he'll die in prison. Yeah. <laughs> That's the Texas killing fields. Man, See you man. next week. <laughs> it's so... That is quite a stretch of murders for a long period of time. It's just so creepy. The name we talked about last week, the name Texas Killing Fields is creepy. Yeah. It's, it's its own phenomena. It really is. There's no other stretch of highway like it in this country. Mm. So why, why that? I guess is it just because of all those... It's so desolate in areas... Is it a combination of all the drifters and the desolation? And in all fairness, have you ever been on the highway between Columbus and Cincinnati? That's pretty awful, too. (laughs) (laughs) It's a whole lot of nothingness. And if you're leaving Columbus, what are you getting to? You're getting to hell, (laughs) a.k.a. Cincinnati. (laughs) I'm just saying. I'm teasing, obviously. You're right, though. You can probably find similar stretches of highway all over the United States. You can find stretches, but you're not going to find the bodies, which makes this, I think, like, yeah, like, why? So what is it? What is, yeah, what, what is, it? is it? The drifters combined with the desolation combined with the police in action. 
combined this has transient that, population kind of thing. This has that like mob feel, like that outside of Vegas type thing, like when mm. you know you go bury the bodies or whatever. But it's it's not that. It's not easy. mobsters. It's not mm. you know these are innocent young women. Yeah, it's hard to reconcile. And and again, I mean, I think it's we're all on the same page, or, or it's well established. Like it's not the same killer who's doing this for three decades. No, how many suspects do we talked about the past three weeks? Right. And how many do we just not know of? Sure. How many more bodies are out there they didn't even find? Right. I think it's about 29 we covered, 29 victims over the past three weeks. You know, not all of those were single, or some of those were single murders. So maybe you could be looking at like 15, 20 killers. When it becomes known how easy it is to dispose of a body there, then sure. Mm. Hopefully they can figure something out with... Wrap up the rest of them one yeah. of these days, hopefully. Maybe our friend uh, Clyde can shed some light on what happened one sometime. Yeah, maybe he'll make some type of confession eventually. Maybe. What's he up to now? Is he out? He's out now? Yeah, he's just Which living one? in a halfway house. We're sending oh, he's the halfway house We're guy. sending you an assignment, Donner, to talk to him. <laughs> oh. Hey, Declan, you're going on assignment. <laughs> I'm sure as fuck now. No. <laughs> <laughs> right, he'll handle it. <laughs> you get two dollars a day for food. Are you trying to drive me crazy? <laughs> oh. Pee wee can go with him. <laughs> Sleep in your fucking car. I don't give a shit. No. <laughs> sure, Dodge Neon. Pack it up. Get out of here, fucking idiot. <laughs> God, I hate Declan. <laughs> All right. So Dave, when he sends in his expense reports, he gets two dollars a day for food. <laughs> <laughs> That's enough for him. He triscuits. Why you gotta be so mean to that guy? Do you like him? <laughs> Who likes that guy? I do like Declan. Do you though? Is that why you let him live in your basement? In yes. A cage? A cage. <laughs> you can have him, pal. Ian and I hate his guts. <laughs> I think he's a fine intern. Okay. I think we should hire him. Full, <laughs> I think we should hire him full time and his start paying him. Fucking wrestlers, the ultimate warrior. So. <laughs> Just saying. I really hate him. He said disqualifying, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> You'll never work here, Declan. <laughs> All right. Any final thoughts? My final thought is that that is a very scary place. Yeah. It certainly is. And like you to see, be a young girl in the area is terrifying. Still a lot of missing it, person reports going on in that area. Or is there, like, like, is this still, do you think, happening? Like, people in that, li- young girls living in and around that area going missing? Or maybe is it just now a place where if you abduct someone four states away, you know to just kind of make your way down that there and yeah, ditch them? I mean, I didn't see anything of, like, it still being a big issue. It's been a yeah. while, right? Yeah. Since the last body was found. Yeah. But again, like, you know. In this, from we know from this area, from a body's been found, but they're not, you know, if someone's abducted in, you know, Wyoming, you're not necessarily going to think of I-45. No. Yeah, it's not great being a woman. No, it's really not. Too many creeps in the world. And just even all over the world, it's not great <laughs> at all, yeah. really. It's never been in history, really. Well, Did, on that high note, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, Dave, any final thoughts? You got to follow that up now. I don't even know what to say. This is a, it's just crazy stretching back, what, to the early 70s. I mean, it was just nonstop for three decades, four decades. I knew it was, I knew it was a, uh, a big stretch of killings. I didn't know 
that it was going to be three parts immediately. Yeah. I always wanted to read the book deliver us. So this gave me an, an excuse to read yeah. it. Um, but yeah, when you start digging into it and you see all these suspects, like there's so much to talk about. Yeah. At least we caught a few of them, right? Yeah. William Reese did not need to be out in the world. <laughs> no, no. He makes the case for capital punishment for rapists. In my opinion, he oh, got, I have no problem with that. Yeah, he got out way too like that bail. He just turned around a month later and yeah, did sure. it again. And then after that sentence, he did it again. I don't think I have a problem with that being a capital crime in certain circumstances. Yeah, I'm fine. Maybe not every circumstance. Again, in a perfect world. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm just sitting here, pal. I'm just sitting here. It's not something I can support based on how the things work in this country now. But in yeah. a perfect world, I would support that. So for more, there's the uh, Netflix documentary. Right. Yeah. What's that? Is it just called text? I forget it's what it's called, called. Crime scene. Crime scene. Texas they don't tell it nearly as well as you do. They're out of order. The it first episode was rough to get through for me because they start with the eighties. A lot mm. of bouncing. And then they backtrack, but it is Netflix. good to see the, the families talk about it and stuff. It's, you know, it's putting names you know, to faces for sure. Yeah. Helps with it. And what was the books you read or book you read for this one? Deliver us. Deliver us. All right, so if you want more on the Texas Killing Fields, check those out. Dave, what do you got for us? I've got some shout-outs. Thank you to new patrons. Nikki Namapod. Well, wait a minute. Nikki Namapod. I'm just going to throw out that Is she joining thing. the show? We had a new member? <laughs> Declan doesn't even have a Namapod account. <laughs> He'll never we, have one. We made him have an email of Declan334 at hotmail.com. <laughs> Decky Namapod at SG.com. <laughs> people are going to start emailing that now. Do it. See what responses you get, people. Tabitha Nicole, Mike's future ex wife, 69. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> Renee, why don't you come on up and fuck me in the ass sometime, huh? I don't know who that's directed at. Wow. Declan! <laughs> You're going up there. Freddie Hughes, Josh Hennessy, Sasha Kendall, Jeff Garcia, Elizabeth Jasmine, Bree Tom, Amy Graham. How weird would it be if cum was white instead of red? (laughs) 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 Callie Harper, Reekin on the Run, Close Your Blind Security Rapid Response Team. Now we're talking. Jackie Butat, Two Brain Cells, JoJo Colorado, Matt Big Hammer, Ashley Annaline, Aaron Carlson, Mike's Cum Tastes Like Mint Chocolate Chip. (laughs) That's fucking awesome. I'm getting choked up over it. That's the greatest compliment I've ever heard. She's someone else getting choked up on the chocolate chip. That's That's amazing. Mike's College <laughs> Bitch Number 666. A lot of Mike patrons this evening. I don't get that one. Michelle Mortensen, Heather Lee, Mike Elias, Ryan Waycaster, Bruce Mangold is definitely not a moon man. He's a lawyer. <laughs> Amanda Gatto, K Tattoos, and Daniela Nicole Cardinal Weinberg. 
Thank you so much, new patrons. Ian, what do you got? For iTunes, I have one for Indie Zebra, Nurse Parker, Graveyard Hex, uh, He He. They just they typed it way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think that's what they wanted. They <laughs> 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 came for the he he, they stayed for the ha ha. <laughs> Sarah Farmer and Thomas TJ. Thank you guys for the awesome reviews. Dave, anything else? I have some gift shout outs uh, to thank some of the people that sent, uh, sent us some gifts to the P.O. Box. Uh, Paul, thank you. Sent us some custom keychains with the Necronomapod on there. That's right. Very cool. Thank you. Hannah Ford sent us a signed book from Travis Walton. She met him at a, uh, where did she meet him at a conference or some event? Oh, Ian, probably a MUFON show you threw or something. <laughs> yeah. Did you sponsor that? <laughs> so very cool. Nice uh, little inscription there by mm-hmm. uh, Travis Walton. Ian's not hard in the slightest. <laughs> so thank you, Hannah. Very cool. Uh, Sheena Morris passed along a couple of books for Ian and I and a Jeff Gordon shirt for Mike Namapod. Oh, look at that. Throwback Jeff Gordon shirt. Thank you. How about that? Very cool. And uh, one of our friends in the UK sent Mike Namapod a box of crispy M&Ms. There was no name from the sender except the store that it came from. So uh, thank you, friend in the UK. Yeah, thank you. Um, Tastes like shit. (laughs) But um, thank you for sending them. I appreciate it. Not the same as our crispy M&Ms. But thank you. I appreciate it anyways. It's a very kind gesture. Chocolate's a little bit different over there. Yeah. I didn't even know that was a thing until tonight, so at least I learned yeah. something out of it. They I mean, I get good, it. No. I get it. Their <laughs> chocolate's different than our chocolate. To me, they don't even taste sweet. It was almost bitter mm-hmm. a little bit. So I had that crispy. The crispy M&M part was still there, but yeah, eh, it's not good. The coloring was weird. Coloring was a little off as well, but... Maybe they just don't use all the chemicals we use over here. Probably also true. I'm not a big sweets eater, but when I'm looking for that sweet, tasty treat, I want that sweet, tasty treat. Let's just drink your own cum. It tastes like mint chocolate syrup. <laughs> just blow a load in your mouth. This was the first I'd heard of it, Dave. I'd never See, had a taste of my own cum before. Now I'm being told by my ladies that maybe it tastes a little mint chocolate chippy. It's probably someone you delivered a hefty load down their throat, and they were just reminding you how good it tastes. I'd imagine so, so probably. It's, it's not unlikely. <laughs> But anyways, thank you for the uh, crispy M&M's. Um, won't be finishing that bag. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not trying to be a jerk. It's just different. <laughs> They're different. It's not the same. I'll eat them. Uh, we're leaving them here. so <laughs> They will not go to waste. <laughs> Is all their candy different over there like that? Are they not big on I sweets? tried a little bit of chocolate when I was over there, and it was just it's just not as sweet. But they don't they don't have like... Shit like over here, like nerd ropes and all that kind of stuff. Well, but they eat baked beans for breakfast. So, I mean, so. That's true. I don't recall nerd ropes. I'm unable to answer that question. (laughs) I'm sure you can find nerd ropes in England, though. If not, we'll send them some. And then they will immediately have diabetes. Here's your diabetes, UKers. (laughs) 
We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, at Necronomapod, Patreon.com slash Necronomapod, Necronomapod.com. We have stickers. Nope, have not. Still on sale. (laughs) It's been a month. Uh, Amazon.com, search Necronomapod for all of our other merch. All right, you guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers.